text. Last week we talked about the Spirit-empowered church, and we looked at um, the day of Pentecost and Peter's sermon. And just to bridge us from that passage to where we are today, um, I read uh, that there's this response that uh, earlier on in the passage, there's this response to Peter's sermon where 3,000 people accept his gospel message, and they were baptized right away. Right? And so Peter preaches this amazing sermon, tells everybody that they need to repent and believe in Jesus, and they do that for the forgiveness of sins. And 3,000 people in the temple that day did that. So now what? Right? What happens when you go from anti-Jesus to loving Jesus? Right? You start living like a disciple of Jesus. And verse 42 in Acts, it kicks off a short summary of the activity of these new believers along with the 120 that were already there on the day of Pentecost. So it's not that these 3,000 are the first ever believers in Jesus. There were 120 people that were there before, right? And this is a summary that we have. We're not given every single detail. Luke, the author of this book, he gives us a portrait of what I would call gospel community. It's a community, right? A community, the church born out of the good news of Jesus. He writes about this new community saying in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Right, And I read that passage earlier. It's a beautiful picture of what the church can be. Right, It borders on overly idealistic, yet it really happened. And I want to pause on one of those first words that Luke uses here, the word devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right? It's the first mark of this community. It's a community of devoted disciples. And when I dug a little bit into the Greek word used here in the original language of the New Testament, it surprisingly means, can you guess, actually the Greek word means devoted, right? So our translations are pretty reliable, right? Sometimes you get people and they're like, oh, I, what does the Greek mean? No, it just means what the English means. Um, but there are some interesting uh, aspects of this word that color the word in more fully. There are alternative ways of translating it uh, in this context. And one of them is to busy yourself with, right? One, another translation for this Greek word is to busy yourself with or to be busily engaged in something. It speaks to how one uses their time, how one uses their energy or their resources. So what were they devoted to? Luke lists four things, right? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Of all these things they were doing, Luke distilled these four, four kind of themes to share at the top as a summary, this portrait of the early church. The apostles' teaching, right? That's the first one. This would be the fleshing out of the gospel for these new believers. The early church was made up of learners, right? I think I had read somewhere that on that day, the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem for 3,000 new students, 
Right? Verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe and wonder, and, and signs that the apostles were performing right, were filling them with awe and wonder. And the apostles carried with them this gravity. And we get the benefit of having the apostles' teaching now in writing. Right? We call it the Bible. We call it the New Testament especially the letters right, written by the apostles. You might even say that after Acts, the rest of the Bible is just unpacking the implications of the gospel in our lives. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They taught with authority, right, the apostles. They were the architects of the church. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul even goes on to say that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is what the church busied themselves with. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's the second one, right? And fellowship, that's one of those churchy words, right? This is more than just getting together. Right? Fellowship is a churchy word, and there's a reason for that, because we don't have many words that really sum up what the Bible is talking about here. This is the communion of believers. This is the together oneness of the church. It's being together, but with real and close relationships. It's a bond. Right? The original word is koinonia, and it was a favorite expression even for the bond between husband and wife, that kind of bond. It's a strong community bond, fellowship. And the early church busied themselves with real and close relationships. Right? They knew one another. If you read on in the Bible, you'll see that they knew one another um, well enough to get on each other's nerves, Right? That's why we have all these instructions in the Bible for how to be patient with one another, how to forgive one another, love one another, consider others more highly than yourself, overlook offenses, right? They were together enough for that, to, to merit that need. Verse 46 says that they met in the temple together. So there was a public-facing aspect to their friendship. They were in public together, worshiping Jesus, talking about Jesus, and their fellowship was visible to the world. So much that it says that they enjoyed favor with all the people. People knew who they were. People knew who they worshiped. Verse 44, it says they had all things in common, meaning they shared everything and voluntarily Right? Verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and their property, distributing the proceeds to anyone with need. A later verse in chapter 4 says that there was not a needy person among them. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This was a continuous thing. Uh, theologian John Stott writes, These are disturbing verses. Do they mean that every spirit-filled believer and community will follow their example literally? Right? You're thinking about people selling their homes. These are Jewish believers in a time when barely any Jews had rights to their ancestral lands because of Roman occupation. Right? It was a rare thing if a Jewish person still held on to their ancestral lands. Don't miss the gravity of that. They busied themselves with fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. That's the third one. 
right? And, and this one's interesting because many scholars believe that what's being talked about here is communion, that meal that we just took, right? Where we're recognizing the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. They're saying that this is the Lord's Supper, Jesus, right? He displayed this meal the night before he went to the cross, and this is being replicated in the community of God, right? He broke bread with his disciples, and he gave them that meal to observe, and now they're passing that meal on to the church. And it was likely that communion took place actually during a real meal, right? Not, not like the tiny crumb and little sip that we have, but a, probably a big hunk of bread that they broke and passed on to one another at a table, right? They shared meals together. This is mentioned again in verse 46 when it says, they broke bread from house to house. They were busily engaged in sharing meals, right? Living out the Lord's Supper together, remembering Jesus' death, looking forward to his return. Verse 46, it says, they ate with joyful and sincere hearts. This is how they used their time, their resources, and their energy. And the last headline Luke gives us is that they were devoted to prayer. They were busy with prayer. Imagine you call your friend and you want to go watch a football game or go to a concert, grab a coffee or something, and they say, sorry, I'm busy praying. I'm busy with prayer, right? Has that ever happened to you? I'm guessing not, right? I'm busy with prayer. This is my prayer time. I, I can't uh, do that. You'd say, wow, that person is devoted to prayer. Right? The mark of gospel community is devotion to teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayer. Right? Those are the headlines that we get in Acts and, and how the church was defined. Right? So do you think we can learn anything from them? Right? We can't miss this tag on the end of, of, of this here. It says, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. See, their visible devotion to God and one another, it goes out like a preached message. Just like I was talking to the kids about, like wearing a jersey. It goes out like a preached message. And more and more people are getting added to the church, right? Not just added to the church, but saved. The Bible says Jesus added them. Jesus saves them. Jesus builds his church. Some of my favorite words of Jesus as a church planter are from Matthew 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church. That takes a lot of pressure off of me, right? Jesus will build his church. In John chapter 13, Jesus, right? We talked about this with the kids. God himself, in an act of pure love and service, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Right? I want to talk about how, what, how did these, this community over in Acts, like how did they get there, right? And I want to talk about where it, can, where it starts. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. This is the night before his death, and he tells them, do you know what I've done for you? This is John 13, 12. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. 
And a few verses down, verse 34, he says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. Right, how does a community like the one we've talked about today form? Right? How do they get like that? Right, the community in Acts 2 is made up of believers who understood what Jesus had done for them. Right? They understood grace, the God of the universe, washing our feet. Imagine people asking, why on earth did you sell your land? And then the answer is, because Jesus loved me. Because Jesus loves me. He didn't have to, but he did. And just as he has loved me, I want to love others. How can there be a needy person among us when he has met me in my utter neediness? If anyone has material possessions, the Bible says, John says this too, and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a challenging word in 1 John. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person, John says. We can't miss that this community comes on the heels of a very real encounter with the gospel and the very sincere response to it, right? The 3,000 3, were saved, 3,000 people who were very aware of their sin and very aware of their need for a savior. 3,000 people who were granted forgiveness for all their sin, including this particular group, sending Jesus to the cross. Right? What does that do to a person? What does that kind of forgiveness do to a person? This crowd was indicted by the Apostle Peter as being part of sending Jesus to his death, sending God in the flesh to the cross. And he hands and offers over forgiveness for them. What does that do to a person? What has that done for you? You know, this, this Acts 2.42 passage is a beautiful picture. I love it so much that we have those verses on our wall. But let's stop and ask ourselves, do I understand how this community came to be? Right? And it sounds like a lot of you do. Saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus. A community of forgiven sinners. Is that my story? Right? And another question, do I... It's a good question for us to ask. Do I even want a community like this? Like, do I actually want this? Is this picture of the early church one that I want to hang on my wall? Or is it one that I want to live? If it's one that you want to live, then it's going to be radical. As radical as God washing uh, a bunch of men's dirty feet. Radical enough to contrast with the world around us, not just in our beliefs, but in our actions, in our love. Radical enough for people to know that we are Jesus' disciples by how we love one another. 
you know, of all the training in evangelism I've ever seen, all the winsomeness that they say you should have, all the Bible knowledge, all the ability to answer objections when you're trying to tell people about Jesus. I have rarely seen a book or a talk on evangelism give this one piece of biblical advice. If you want to see people come to Christ, love one another. Devote yourself to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And then don't be surprised when the Lord adds to your number those who are being saved. The love of Jesus' disciples for one another should make people wonder, should leave them in wonder. And that wonder should point them in the direction of Jesus. The Apostle John wrote, We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. That's the Christian life in one verse. We love because he first loved us. That's the foundation of the love that we see in the early church, and it's the foundation that we have today as we aim to be a church that loves others as Jesus has loved us. It's also the evangelistic answer that we can give when people see radical generosity in our lives. I love because he loved me first. It's a very simple answer. What's so unique about all of this is that it has to be rooted in God's grace, in God's grace for us, right? And, and our voluntary continuation of his love. It's voluntary, right? I was just talking about that. We can't demand these radical acts from one another. That's the hardest part, right? You can't demand these things from one another. You're rich, so you should give me your money. No, that's not how it works. Everyone, rich or poor or in between, has to have their own response to the grace of God. And that response ought to be generosity, not entitlement. Why do we love? Because Jesus loved us first. The devotion that we see in the early church, it isn't just for folks who lived 2,000 years ago. It's not just an idealistic fantasy. It's what happens when we understand what Jesus has done for us. Right? Jesus, God, became man right, to take on our sin, to die on a cross in our place, was raised on the third day, right? a resurrected, perfect body. And he invites everybody else into that, into eternal life, anyone who believes in him. Right? God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That changes people. That changes a community when we understand grace, right? When we understand the God of the universe washing our feet.